Omagyanatimirandasya Gyananjana Shalakaya Chakshurun Militam Yena Tasmay Shiguravinama Shi Chaitanya Manobishtang Stapitang Yena Bhutale Svayam Rupa Kadamahyam Dadati Svapadantikam Vandeham Shi Guru Shi Uttavadakamanam Shri Gurun Vaishnavangscha Shri Rupam Sagrajatam Sahagana Raghunatam Vitantam Sajivam Sadvaitam Savadutam Parijana Sahitam Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padan Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakhanvitamscha Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prashtai Abhutale Shimate Vakti Vedanta Swamin Itinamine Namaste Saraswati Deve Gaudavani Pracharine Nirvishesha Shunyavadi Paschatya Deshatarine Vancha Kalpa Tarubhyascha Kripa Sindhubhya Evacha Patitanam Pavanebhyo Vaishnavibhyo Namo Namaha He Krishna Karana Sindhu Dinabandhu Jagatpate Gopesha Gopika Kantaradha Kanta Namastute Tapta Kanchana Gaurangi Radhe Vrindavaneshwari Rishavanu Sute Devi Pranamami Hari Priya Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhunityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Shivasari Gaura Bhaktarinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare 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 Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Narayanam Namaskritya Naram Chaivanarottamam. Deving Saraswating Vyasam Tato Jayamudirayet. Nashta Prayeshvavadreshu Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya Bhagavati Uttama Shloke Bhakti Bhavati Naishtiki So I'm happy to be with you um, at a slight distance. Um, good morning to all of you in Gita Nagari and environs from central Poland. Um, Today, according to our calendar, our zone uh, is, uh, I believe it's Ramanujacharya's appearance day, so that's something. Uh, he appeared more than a thousand years ago. Is that what they celebrate? Yes. Yeah. Um, and... Today we'll celebrate first by reading Srimad Bhagavatam. What better way to celebrate? Uh, Canto 5, Chapter 3, Texts, 
four and five. Uh, hmm, interesting that it says four and five. Oh, I see. Um, these are not verses. This is prose. This is um, this is the sages. No, this is priests. Ritvija. This is where we get the word Ritvik, uh, depending uh, which club you belong to. Either it's a much appreciated word or it's a much unappreciated word. Uh, but Ritvik just means priest, and Ritvija is plural. So Ritvija Uchuhu. Arhasi Mahur. Arhattamarhana asmakam anupatanam namo namaha iti. Etavatsat upashikshitam kor ko arhati kuman prakriti gunavyati karamatir anisha ishvarasya parasya prakriti purushayor arvaktanabir Nama rupa kritibhi, kritibhi, rupa nirupanam. That was verse, which is not a verse, uh, four. And then number five is Sakala jana nikaya vrijana nirasana shivatama pravaraguna ganaika desha katanat rite. All of which means, I think I'll save us uh, from all the word for word. You can perhaps read that on your own and go to the translation. Translation purport by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami, Srila Prabhupada. Translation, the priests began to offer prayers to the Lord saying, Oh, most worshipable one, we are simply your servants. Although you are full in yourself, please, out of your causes, mercy, accept a little service from us, your eternal servants. We're not actually aware of your transcendental form, but we can simply offer our respectful obeisances again and again, as instructed by the Vedic literatures and authorized acharyas. Materialistic living entities are very much attracted to the modes of material nature, and therefore they are never perfect. But you are above the jurisdiction of all material conceptions. Your name, form, and qualities are all transcendental and beyond the conception of experimental knowledge. Indeed, who can conceive of you? In the material world, we can perceive only material names and qualities. We have no other power than to offer our respectful obeisances and prayers unto you, the transcendental person. The chanting of your auspicious transcendental qualities will wipe out the sins of all mankind. That is the most auspicious activity for us. 
and we can thus partially understand your supernatural position. Hmm. Okay, and Srila Prabhupada's purport, the Supreme Personality of Godhead has nothing to do with material perception. Even the impersonalist Shankara Acharya says, Narayana Paro Avyaktat. Narayana, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, is beyond the material conception. Prabhupada likes to quote that. <laughs> Even Shankara says, Shankara Acharya. We cannot concoct the form and attributes of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. We must simply accept the description given in Vedic literatures about the Lord's form and activities. As stated in Brahma Samhita, everyone together, Chintamani Prakarasatma Sukapavriksha Laksha Vritesha Surabhiravipalayantam Lakshmi Sahasra Shatasam Brahma Sevyamanam Govindam Adipurisham I worship Govinda, the primeval Lord, the first progenitor, who is tending the cows, yielding all desires in abodes built with spiritual gems and surrounded by millions of purpose trees. He is always served with great reverence and affection by hundreds and thousands of goddesses of fortune. We can have some conception of the absolute truth, his form and his attributes, simply by reading the descriptions given in Vedic literatures and authoritative statements given by exalted personalities like Brahma, Narada, Shukadeva Goswami, and others. Srila Rupa Goswami says, Atashi Krishnamadi Nabavit Grahyam Indriyai. We cannot conceive the name, form, and qualities of Sri Krishna through our material senses. Because of this, other names for the Lord are Adhokshaja and Aprakrita, which indicate that he is beyond any material senses. Out of his causes, mercy upon his devotees, the Lord appeared before Maharaj Nabi. Similarly, when we are engaged in the Lord's devotional service, the Lord reveals himself to us. Sevon muke hi jihvado svayameva spuratyadaha. This is the only way to understand the Supreme Personality of Godhead as confirmed in Bhagavad Gita, Bhaktya Mam Abhijana Tiyavan. Yes, chasmi tatvataha. One can understand the Supreme Personality of Godhead through devotional service. There is no other way. We have to hear from the authorities and from the Shastras and consider the Supreme Lord in terms of their statements. We cannot imagine or concoct forms and attributes of the Lord. Hmm. So ends Srila Prabhupada's purport to this verse, which is not exactly a verse, it's prose. 
And uh, it's one of quite many prose passages in the fifth canto. I believe also sixth canto, there's uh, some prose. And we might wonder about that a little bit because most of the Bhagavatam is in verse, verse form. Uh, so one might well ask, how does it happen that um, suddenly we come to these prose verses? And the answer is, for variety's sake, <laughs> I would say. The Bhagavatam uh, gives actually a great variety of uh, of poetry uh, types of verses uh, from Anushtup, the short eight-syllable, uh, to much longer verses. I think there are 25, some 25 different uh, verse uh, forms in the Bhagavatam. And in effect, with these um, prose sections, it's saying, yes, and we can also uh, describe, discuss the Supreme Lord and his devotees and uh, Krishna Bhakti. We can discuss all of this also in prose, in case anyone doubts. In this case, it's uh, some priests. <laughs> Perhaps these priests are not so good at uh, Sanskrit poetry, <laughs> so they're uh, speaking in prose. Uh, however, another, you could say, reason for prose, uh, we see it especially if, like in descriptions of uh, the cosmic wonders that come later in this, in this canto. Uh, starting, I guess, around chapter 16. Um, you get these very long uh, compounds, Sanskrit compounds. So if you, well, yeah, if you scroll back, you can see the last uh, part of this, which is verse number five, which is not a verse. Sakala jana nikaya vrijana nirasana shivatama pravaraguna ganaika desha katana. That's all one uh, compound or samasa, as it's called in Sanskrit. And that's something facilitated, especially by, by, uh, by prose. You can make long, long compounds why would you want to make long compounds well they're, they're they can be kind of fun they can also be a way of showing uh multiple ways of understanding because the nature of compounds in sanskrit is that they can be generally they can be read in many different ways um why that's the case Maybe I won't go into that. It has to do with the Sanskrit. Well, just briefly, it's because um, when you have a, uh, a compound, except for the very last word in the compound, you don't have any grammatical endings. Uh, and because you don't have any grammatical endings, you can sort of take 
the grammatical ending that you like um, to um, make it uh, one relationship or another relationship because gram grammar is kind of about it's very much about relationships between words and therefore uh, meanings um so what well uh, this last line sakala jana nikaya etc what's the point of that particular line we might have a make an attempt at uh, understanding it Prabhupada's translation um, is the last sentence the chanting of your auspicious transcendental qualities will wipe out the sins of all mankind so he he uh, he kind of condenses it that way um, but we could look a little closer sakala means all jana people nikaya jana nikaya Prabhupada translates as all mankind. Um, we might, in modern language, want to say all humankind, just to sound gender neutral. Um, but it has this idea of nikaya, uh, has the idea of um, being quite inclusive, an assembly of all the janas, all the all the people. And Vrijana, Prabhupada translates as sinful actions. I looked it up, it can mean also crooked. Um, crooked. Uh, hold on, Vrijana. Yes, bent, crooked, false, deceitful. <laughs> can also mean curled hair. Uh, <laughs> so, um, okay, where was I? So, uh, crookedness, you could say, the crookedness of, of the world, the, the bent out of shapedness of the world, of, of humankind. Nirasana can be uh, thoroughly removed, dispelled, finished off, wiped out, Prabhupada says. Um, how is it wiped out? How is all of this uh, crookedness wiped out? Shivatama pravaraguna gana ekadesha katana. Uh, kat katana, like kata, uh, speaking can mean stories accounts and katanat by means of or through or because of um, and ekadesha in this case seems to be indicating just a piece just a bit so just by a limited amount of glorification of the super auspicious uh, collectivity of qualities of the lord <laughs> can dispel all the all the rot uh, in humankind so that by way of explaining that last line uh, this is being addressed to the lord by these priests and what's happening as 
you all know uh, is that King Nabi is performing a yagya. He wants to have a son, and he's going to, of course, have a very special son. His son is going to be none other than Rishabdeva. And, uh, and the cool thing is that the Lord directly appears, <laughs> uh, which reminded me of how in Govardhan Lila, the Lord directly appears. Of course, he's there as the small boy, but the kind of significant appearance in terms of... Uh, what's going on in that Leela is that the Lord appears in this giant form uh, as personified Giriraj. And uh, this is an, uh, a response to, or it's a kind of demonstration by Krishna of the rightness of his recommendation, um, his request. Uh, Seven-year-old Krishna had um, become a sort of a troublemaker by uh, urging his father and all the um, bridge bosses, hey, let's do something different this year. Instead of worshiping Indra, let's worship Govardhan. What? <laughs> what are you talking about? We always worship Indra. We can worship Govardhan, yes, if you like, we can do that. First we'll worship Indra, and then we'll worship Govardhan. Yes? No, <laughs> Krishna says. Let's forget about Indra, and let's just worship Govardhan. And he gives his uh, sort of quasi-karma mimamsa reasons for it. And uh, one of the arguments that comes up is, when did you ever see Lord Indra? You've been worshiping him every year since time immemorial. But did you ever see him? <laughs> and, uh, well, actually, no. <laughs> We've never seen him. Well, look at... Uh, look at um, at Govardhan, and you will see Giriraj himself, personified Govardhan, appear. And so the uh, Giriraj uh, very much appears in this amazing, according to I guess it's Jiva Goswami, in a in a kind of multi multi armed form, in which he stretches out his many many arms. Uh, simultaneously to accept uh, all the offerings of the Rajabhasis. Uh, the Annakuta uh, is, uh, mm, you know, huge offerings. Not one pile, but piles upon piles upon piles of, uh, of, of offerings, food offerings, wag wagons full. I was just at Govardhan a few weeks ago. Uh, well, in uh, in February and before that also in November. And by the way, you might be interested to know if you haven't heard already, there is now um, 
just freshly opened last October, a brand, brand new squeaky clean uh, Govardhan retreat center. It's on the uh, on the western side of Govardhan, toward the south, maybe one kilometer north of uh, Jatipur. And this was the inspiration of His Holiness Sachinandan Swami and His Grace Purijan Prabhu, who have been hmm, having retreats, what they call Govardhan retreat, for the last more than 20 years uh, at Govardhan, renting various um, guest houses and collections of places. Uh, yeah, mainly around Jatipur, uh, none of which was altogether satisfactory for their purposes. And so they, uh, several years ago, thought, we need our own place. And by their will and by Giriraj's uh, reciprocation, as they understand, as we can understand, uh, now this place is is there, and it's quite a very nice place. It's uh, it has facility of um, something like two hundred and fifty beds, uh, room double double rooms, and mainly double rooms, and some uh, rooms with four and some with six places. And a big, very large assembly hall, which holds, I don't know, maybe 500 people. Um, and and a big prasadam hall and, uh, and so on. Uh, and all of this is just, uh, yeah, like 300 meters from Govardhan Hill. And you can see Govardhan Hill from the compound of Govardhan Retreat Center. Okay, that was a footnote. <laughs> Back to the Bhagavatam. The point is that Krishna was demonstrating to the bridge bhasis, uh, you worship Govardhan, Govardhan appears. Uh, and you worship Indra, don't expect Indra to appear. So in the case of Nab, uh, Nab, Nabi, King Nabi, the Lord appears uh, in his sacrifice. And, uh, and this is their response. This is the priest's response. Uh, and in their, in their response, they're expressing, uh, well, I would say mainly wonder but I found it interesting that in the first line, we have this word in various forms, arhasi, <clears throat> arhattama, arhanam. Uh, yeah, three times. Oh, four times. Later, it says ko arhati. So what is that? We might, we might want to look at this a bit. Prabhupada translates arhasi as please accept. A more literal translation could be you deserve. Generally, ar, arha, arhana has to do with deserving. 
And you might have um, noticed if you ever encountered something related to Buddhism that we have the word arhat, arhat tama. Um, the word arhat um, is common to Buddhist traditions. I would say, especially the earlier Buddhist traditions, the Theravada, uh, the later Buddhists, uh, the so-called Mahayana traditions are uh, sort of uh, critical of the arhats. Um, why? Because they say, well, you're very busy um, realizing or entering into or whatever it is they do with nirvana, extinguishing yourself, <laughs> nirvana. But what about the rest of humanity? And so the Mahayana tradition, rather than uh, sort of uh, glorifying the arhat, is more glorifying the bodhisattva. And the bodhisattva is understood to be the one who makes the vow that I will not accept liberation until the very last, until everyone else. Until everyone else reach, reaches perfection, okay, then I will. Otherwise, uh, I'm not interested. And otherwise, I... Until then, I'm going to work for uh, the liberation, for the benefit of everyone. So that idea of bodhisattva is very prominent in Mahayana Buddhism. Um, but here we have arhat tama. So this does not mean tamaguna. <laughs> uh, as a suffix, it's... Um, it goes together with, there's arhat, there's arhat tara, and arhat tama. Um, it's like, it's also like purushottama, purusha uttama, uh, the topmost, the best. So basically it's good, better, best, and tama indicates best. So uh, o best of arhats, O best of deserving ones, you could say, mm. is of course being addressed here to the Supreme Lord himself. Um, so uh, I thought that's interesting, <laughs> that the Lord is being addressed as Ar arhatama. Um, and this led me to think about the Lord as, okay, he's the most deserving. Now let's think, maybe together we can think about what kind of associations we have with the idea of deserving. Um, you deserve it. I deserve it. We deserve it. What do we deserve? Uh, we may say, well, I deserve to burn in hell for uh, millions of years, considering 
all my sinful activities. Someone may say, I deserve um, the Maha Prasadam plate today because I'm just such a humble devotee <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> um, maybe, can we open this up? Let's see if anyone wants to say something about deserving. Any thoughts on what it means for us? Um, because we generally think, uh, we don't think in terms of deserving. Well, we since, since, Krishna, mercy. since Krishna says, uh, I reciprocate accordingly, I don't deserve any more than what I get. Okay. I don't deserve more than what I, what I get. Why do I deserve what I get? That's a good question. Because Krishna, Krishna says that I reciprocate, reciprocate accordingly. So I, I leave it up to him to decide what is worthy and what is not. Uh, okay. Uh, good. Tarika Prabhu? Yeah, um, trying to understand this. Um, give me one moment. Um, regards to deserving, Gilavishwanath Chakravarti Thakur comments on this verse saying that um, he suggests the priests are saying here they're saying uh, though you are complete you should accept our offerings since we are following the path of bhakti yoga anupatanam Um, so he's suggesting evidently they feel they deserve to have their offerings accepted because they are following the path of bhakti. Uh -huh. Okay, so they are the ones deserving to be accepted. Okay, that may, all right, um, but it's the Lord who is referred to as Arhatama. So that's um, interesting. I'm not quite sure how to fit that in. We can puzzle over that. <laughs> uh, anyone else? Any thoughts on this? Anyone uh, want to join in the fray? Hare Krishna. Yes. Uh, um... I was just thinking like, yeah, we might do something in this life um, that, that's nice and pleasing to the Lord. But if we look at what we've done in all our lives, then uh, we probably don't deserve much, um, which kind of lends me to the idea of like, yeah, causeless mercy. 
Uh, yes, devotees like to, we, we, we really like the idea of causeless mercy, don't we? <laughs> Considering that without it, we're maybe all in big trouble. <laughs> okay. Um, but I want to a little bit stick with this idea of the Lord as being deserving. And uh, I don't know if this is going to work, but I want to bring in, because uh, Ram Navami is coming up soon, I want to bring in this famous uh, or infamous uh, episode in the, in the Ramayana of Rama, Lord Ram killing Bali. Uh, I'm sure you all know the story. Uh, Sugriva and Rama have uh, made a pact that um, the brother of Sugriva will be killed because he has usurped the kingdom and he has taken Sugriva's wife. Uh, and, uh, and Rama agrees. And the way he executes his promise is in a way which doesn't seem at all appropriate for Akshatriya. Um, and Vali, in his dying words, says a lot of very strong things criticizing the Lord. So I thought I might, I might read a bit of that. Uh, this is from... Uh, an unabridged Ramayana of Valmiki. Mostly what devotees are familiar with are highly abridged editions, but this is the unabridged seven-volume edition, translation of the, well, the critical edition. Um, and uh, so it's kind of interesting how how Vali speaks uh, to, to Rama. Um, he says, he says, Because of you, I have met my death while in the heat of battle with someone else. What possible merit have you gained by killing me when I wasn't looking? And then he quotes um, about Rama's reputation. He says, Rama is well-born, virtuous, powerful, compassionate, and energetic. He has observed vows, knows pity, is devoted to the welfare of the people, knows when to act, and is firm in his vows. Unquote. That is how everyone spreads your good reputation throughout the world. Considering those great qualities of yours and your exalted lineage as well, I engaged in battle with Sugriva 
though Tara tried to stop me. So prior to this battle, Vali's uh, 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 other wife, Tara, warns him, you shouldn't go because I have a sense that um, Rama is going to give you trouble. Since I didn't see you, I had no idea you would strike me when I was in the heat of battle with another heedless of you. I did not know that your judgment was destroyed and that you were a vicious evildoer hiding under a banner of righteousness like a well overgrown with grass. I did not know that you were a wicked person wearing the trappings of virtue, concealed by a disguise of righteousness like a smoldering fire. I did not harm either, I did no harm either in your kingdom or in your city, nor did I insult you. So why did you kill me, an innocent forest ranging monkey? living only on fruit and roots when I had joined battle here with someone else and was not fighting against you. And he goes on like this for another couple of pages. <laughs> um, and uh, Rama listens to him and then it's Ram, Rama's turn to respond. Uh, shall I read what Rama replies? Yes, please. Okay, he says, <clears throat> he says to Vali, he says, how can you who do not understand righteousness, statecraft, pleasure, or even worldly conduct in your foolishness reproach me here today? My friend, in your monkey frivolousness, you wish to revile me here without consulting elders endowed with judgment and respected as teachers. This earth with its mountains, woods, and forests belongs to the Ikshvakus, as does the right of punishing and rewarding its beasts, birds, and men. That's an interesting notion, punishing birds and beasts. There were in the Middle Ages trials held in Europe against certain animals uh, that were taken as uh, the cause of uh, damage or death to human beings. Whole trials were held against pigs, for example. Um, he is a king who knows the proper place and time for action in him are well-established both statesmanship and humility, as well as truth and valor as prescribed in sacred texts. Um, and he goes on like this. And then he says, I'm just, I am serving the king who is Bharata. He's identifying his brother Bharata as the king. And he says, Bharata's mission is to establish dharma throughout the land and that's as his subject that's what i'm doing he says firm in our own high duty honoring bharata's command 
we duly chastise whoever strays from the path of righteousness. But you violate righteousness. This is uh, the translator's um, word for dharma. And are condemned by your actions. You are engrossed in the pursuit of pleasures and you have not kept to the path of kings. And he explains more specifically, he has taken the wife of his younger brother. And he, he says this is, he gives a list of reasons that someone can be killed. And one of them is that. Uh, it seems to come from some Dharma Shastra. Um, so like this, he goes on. And in the end, uh, Vali says, oh, actually, you're right. <laughs> I got it all wrong. Um, you are acting. Uh, you are acting righteously, and I accept what you say, and I surrender. Uh, and uh, it is it is rightly done that uh, that I am killed, and so on. But uh, despite his accepting this, uh, the the course of the tradition of Ramayana presentation, there's always been a kind of nervousness with how Rama has killed Bali because of the fact that he does it from a place of hiding. So I, br I bring this up just because uh, I think it's an interesting, uh, in the context of um, reflecting on the Lord as Arhatama, as the most deserving. He is um, perfectly deserving. Um, and this led me, maybe I can add one more comment, which um, kind of leaves me wondering, uh, is it here? Yeah. <clears throat> A few days ago, I was in Mumbai, and devotees asked me to uh, speak from Bhagavatam Canto 1, Chapter 17, in which uh, King Parikshit has just asked uh, the Dharma bull what is the cause of his um, being tortured? And as you know, the, the Dharma bull says, well, it's really hard to say. Different philosophers have different ways of understanding causality. And, you know, <laughs> I can't really say. And the response to that of uh, Maharaj Parikshit is, Dharmang bravishi, dharma gya, dharma si, padrik. You speak dharma, dharman, dharmam bravishi. You speak dharma because you are dharma gya. You are the knower of dharma. And dharma asi, you are dharma. Vrisharupadrik, uh, in the form of a bull. And then he says, Yat adharma krita stanam suchakasyapi tat bhavet. <clears throat> mm. 
the destination intended for the perpetrator of irreligious acts is also intended for one who identifies the perpetrator. So he's saying you are Dharma personified because you you understand this point about Dharma that if if I'm pointing you're the cause of uh, of this crime or you you have committed this crime, then I'm putting myself in a position if I'm uh, an accuser of uh, suffering the same uh, destination as the perpetrator. Hmm, interesting. But then now, jumping back to Ramayana and to this uh, section where Rama has, um, where Vali is just is dying in front of Rama. Vali says, uh, I think it's Vali. Must be Vali. Says. Neither he who inflicts punishment on one who deserves punishment, nor he who is punished when he deserves punishment, perishes. Each serves the due process of justice. So the, neither of them perish. If, if I do something wrong and I'm punished, I don't perish. I don't uh, get destroyed. <clears throat> um, and, uh, and the person who, who inflicts the punishment, he or she is also not destroyed. Um, what's really happening, he says, each serves the due process of justice. Hmm. So the statement from uh, Maharaj Parikshit, I've always found a bit, uh, a bit of a consternation. Um, but there it is. Uh, of course, if we had more time, we can go into the purport of Srila Prabhupada, but uh, just considering the uh, statement as it is, and that's what he takes as the embodiment of Dharma, not seeing the cause. Of course, Prabhupada will discuss. It's recognized the ultimate cause is, is God, is Krishna, um, but can God be blamed for whatever wrong takes place, that doesn't make sense either. And so you have the case of uh, Bhishma with Krishna standing right in front of him as he's uh, in his last moments explaining to Yudhishthir what is the cause of all this trouble that they've had. And the actual cause was that Krishna has given his blessings and Bhishma just says, it is eternal time. <laughs> we don't blame the Lord. So the Lord is deserving. What is he deserving of? He's deserving of, uh, of praise. 
deserving of unlimited praise. And um, it seems like what today's verse is saying is, we, not, we may not be able to understand um, how that's the case, why that's the case. Uh, the atheists will blame God, and they will say, all of this, what we see, all the misery, the evil, is um, if God is the cause of all causes, then uh, the buck stops there. He must be the cause. We, are, we can blame him. Um, the devotee says, no. <laughs> he says, the Lord is Arhatama, Hare Krishna. Krantaraj Srimad Bhagavatam ki jai. I'll stop there if there's any further reflections or comments. We can consider them. Jiva Pandit Prabhu. Hare Krishna Maharaj. Thank you so much for your class. I have a question about this last point you were making in, in regards to Parikshit Maharaj's statement about one who um, points out the accuser is also um, putting themselves in a position to, you know, receive the same fate. So my question is, you know, how wouldn't this make people more likely or less likely to like, how do I say, speak the truth? Because like, if I know that someone is guilty of committing a crime and I know that they need to serve justice or just they need to meet justice, but if I call them out for it and I'm putting myself in a position to be the accuser, that would make me less likely to want to call them out or, you know, say something. <laughs> yeah. So how, do, how does that work? How does that work? No, that is, that's the issue right there. You've nailed it right there. What, how does, how do we apply this? Um, my own way of applying it is maybe a little, a little bit um, indirectly. Um, you know, the Christian expression, hate the sin, not the sinner. So we may, um, well, let's say like this, if one is, uh, is, is fully fixed in that understanding, I would say then a person is fully qualified to call someone out um, for their... Uh, or their wrongdoing. And if not, if not situated like that, then one could be implicated. How is one implicated? Because one is thrown into the world, into the, into the whirlpool of the three modes of nature in which one has to be, in some respects, like the person who does the wrongdoing in order to identify the wrongdoing. I remember years ago in one, um, one discussion in Oxford uh, of uh, some scholars, uh, my own uh, mentor at that time, uh, 
doctoral uh, supervisor mentor. I remember he he's he spoke quite strongly uh, in a reacting to someone saying in effect they uh, we need to un somebody was saying we should try something like we should try to understand um, Adolf Hitler in his madness. And my professor, he said, I don't want to understand. <laughs> I don't want to understand. Uh, because that, I, what I think he was saying is, I, I don't want to be pulled into the kind of mentality that allowed him to do uh, what he did. You see what I'm getting at? I I think there's a lot to be said for this uh, notion. I don't know if it's only a, from the Christian tradition, but hate the sin, not the sinner. But it, for me, it puts a lot into sort of a healthy perspective. It's difficult sometimes somebody does something really, really wrong, really nasty. First thing we wanna do is hate them. Um, isn't it? But when we do, then what's that doing to us? Hare Krishna. So I think I understand kind of what you're saying. I just want to make sure I do. So instead of like, if, if you know someone's done something wrong, um, it's not our position to hate them or condemn them, but would you say it's still our responsibility to bring them to justice? Yes, it, well, it may be your responsibility or it may be your responsibility to uh, get the person who is responsible to do it. So yes, responsibility is, is, uh, is there. You know, the word responsibility, I, I find helpful to think of as ability to respond. <laughs> so if we have an ability to respond to a situation um, and it's appropriate for us to respond, then we should respond. But the, uh, the position for ourselves to be in mentally and emotionally at least we should be striving for is that we're not hating the person, we're hating the sin. It seems to me uh, this is what's being said. But even, well, this is an allegorical story. There is no, there is no bull, there is no three, three legs missing. Uh, this dialogue, is instructive and uh, Maharaj Parikshit's reaction is to take the sword out of his shield and and he's ready to punish whomever is <laughs> yeah. the guilty party. But there is yeah. no, uh, there is really no no guilty party. And even even the bull, as you uh, Dharma, as you quoted, uh, says that there are five different 
presents five different arguments and uh, none of them indicates who who the guilty party is uh, yeah. as a as a as a person so in our society uh is it's a lot easier because there is no allegories is there is a guilty party there is a jury of the peers there is uh, witnesses there is uh, evidence there is lawyers involved there is a system of justice and there is a guilty party in in every instance so should we should we just assume that every criminal is simply acting as uh, ultimately the um will of the lord that someone is enforcing someone else's karma so therefore they can't be held responsible so just what is what is the idea uh who if someone punishes whether there's a system of justice or those enforcers of such such thing um every uh, evidently if they enforce justice they will be as guilty as the person who committed the the crime and um such recently Sachinanda maharaj told a story about about uh, an eagle i don't know if you heard that an eagle that picked up a uh there was a king that wanted to give charity he he was very much into giving so he decided to feed personally everyone in his kingdom at least in his city i guess and as he was passing out balls like you know the the original food for life thing um <laughs> There was there was an eagle carrying a poisonous snake, uh, well, and and he's is describing the scriptures that even even saintly people are happy when a poisonous snake is killed, and the snake. Oh yes, I remember this story. I heard him tell the snake this. basically because it was squeezed to to by the talons of the eagle, dropped some poison in one of the balls. The ball exactly the ball that was the king was about to give to someone and he gave it to someone and that person died so yeah, yeah. so uh apparently jamaraj and chitragupta showed up and they had no idea who to punish because okay it was the the cook because he made the food the the serpent because he dropped the the poison the eagle because he picked up the serpent the king because he distributed charity that was poisonous they had and and they 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 had no clue and uh, until one person started blaming is the king the king is the one who should be punished then they say okay now the the choice is pretty easy the the guy who is blaming the king that's a guilty party this is a guy who should be punished so can you um can you un unravel this Gordian knot and uh, <laughs> we get a bit bit less of a mess? Uh, probably not to anyone's satisfaction, but I think what we want to get at from or get out of the allegory is it's a cautionary tale in the sense that um, uh, there is a tendency in every society, and I think um, this is something that 
anthropologists talk about. There's a tendency at scapegoating that essentially uh, there's a kind of accumulation whenever there's social interaction um, in a society, then there's a kind of accumulation of not altogether pure exchanges. Um, and that sort of accumulates, and then there's a uh, there, there's a a feeling that you know we we have to get rid of all this uh, cloud of our imperfection. Ah, here's someone uh, who has done an obvious crime. Run them out of the of the town and uh, sacrifice or whatever. So. That's where the idea of scape, scapegoating comes from. So I think it's just cautionary. Yes, we have all these uh, systems for ensuring justice, for, um, for dealing with, uh, with wrongdoing, and that's all very well, and it's necessary. Uh, and still there's this um still we have a problem and the problem is that we we're looking for the fault somewhere outside ourselves did i uh did i was i able to uh do anything positive with the Gordian knot? <laughs> well, you, you loosened it a little bit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which I appreciate. Um, even Alexander wasn't able to do that. Um, yeah. I have an unrelated question. If uh, if nobody has a segue that corresponds to, um, it's about deities and um, there are some deities that we we as Vaishnavas appreciate uh, you know Archana in all its different ways even if people worship like Gopishwar Mahadev who is not in our tradition but it is because you know if the gopis or Lord Chaitanya pray to to Shiva for uh, for increased bhakti you know this is okay so why is that uh when we go to vrindavan we only or mostly see the deities of the goswamis in our lineage and for example radha balava or banki bihari which are not in our lineage but are still uh vaishnava deities uh we don't emphasize so much so what is what is the dichotomy there and when how how should we proceed Hmm. Um, well, you mentioned Radha Vallabha, and uh, I think most, most ISKCON devotees are not even aware uh, of this temple, the Radha Vallabha temple. Um, it's a quite large temple, very close to Vankavihari, and uh, they have very beautiful deity worship. 
and they have an amazing Samaj Gayana uh, tradition. Shishi Radha Damodara Ki Jai. Um, yeah, so I encourage devotees to go to Radhavalava and see see the deities, and I encourage them to hear uh, the the very refined uh, singing tradition they have uh, in that temple. So I can't generalize for others. I can just say for myself, this is. Uh, in, this particular temple I find very, very inspiring. They have a very different theology. I've spoken with um, a couple of their senior priests, very friendly people speaking nice English. And I also spoke with uh, Radhanath Swami, who has also been there and also appreciates them. And he says, yes, they have very interesting theology. It's very different, but it's also nice. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I would say they are, uh, uh, they're the original Vaishnav Shaktas. They, uh, they say that uh, Shimati Radharani is ontologically superior to Krishna. Um, and like that, they have interesting, some some interesting ideas. So, uh, well, you know, also when devotees go to Vrindavan, we go to Govardhan, we go on Parikram, we go to the, uh, we go to Varshana. Uh, and we have darshan of uh, uh, what are the deities called? Larali Larala. Mm. So they're not our samradaya. They are. Um, I I don't know if they're uh, Narayana Bhakta. I don't know the story there. Um, we might go to Nanda Gaon and see Krishna Balaram. Uh, there are another um, Goswami, Gos, you know, we might say Jati Goswami. I think the point it was nicely made by uh, one of my god brothers many years ago. I was spending a bit more time in Vrindavan as I was researching for my dissertation on Radharaman, and I got to know a, a god brother who lives. He has his own place uh, quite close to Radha Gokulananda. And he said, you know, I live here, yes, but he said, Krishna Balaram Mandir is my father's home. And therefore it's my home. And I feel um, that is my, that's my home. That's my base. That's where I belong. So I may visit so many different temples. And I may appreciate, and I will appreciate the worship, how it's done, and it'll be done in, you know, there'll be variations. Um, but I can appreciate the uh, the devotion of of the Savites and so on. But my home is uh, 
Krishna Balaram Mandir. Sri Sri Radha Shama Sundar. So he said, I, I go as often as I can also to Krishna Balaram Mandir. Did that loosen the knot a little bit? Yeah, now it's like a like a bow tie. Jai. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, um, I guess we have taken enough of your valuable time and we are very glad that you conceded and uh, gave us your uh, association. And if there are no further questions, uh, we will let you go. So this is the last call. <laughs> Those who can hear the bell. <laughs> Just Tarika's raising his hand. Yeah, well, I, I have a two questions that have been uh, thinking about this for a while. I'm just trying to understand some things about you personally. Um, I first met you uh, through uh, Hari Keish Prabhu um, many in, in New York. And at that time, we had a, um, a brief discussion in German. And um, since that time, I have wondered, how is it that you came to know German? Um, how did you come to be in Germany? How did you come to know Hari Keish? I just, um, I'm just curious <laughs> about so, some of your history. Oh, okay. Uh, I'll try to keep this brief. So uh, in high school, uh, there were options to take different second languages. If you wanted to go to university, you had to, um, you know, prepare a second language. So I chose German. Why I chose German? My brother had, my older brother had uh, taken German. And so, I don't know. I just felt like it seemed like a kind of cool language. Um, so I had three and a half years of high school German. And then um, I had another, I guess, one semester of German at university. And then, um, as one did in 1972, when the Vietnam War was going on, and one did not want to be drafted into the army, uh, one stayed in the university to have um, so-called student deferment uh, until one got a signal that it's possible to uh, leave the university without getting drafted because of a change in draft policy. So after two years of university feeling like it's time to see the world, um, that's what I did. Went off to Europe, ended up in Germany, um, and at a certain point thought, 
where do I think I'm going anyway? Maybe it's time to check out the Hare Krishnas, whom I had seen and heard day after day after day at my university, the University of California, Berkeley. Um, maybe I should check out those Hare Krishnas because, let's face it, they always looked happy. Uh, and let's face it, we're not happy. So where would the Hare Krishnas be if they're in Europe? Well, if I were a Hare Krishna, I would go to a place similar, similar to Berkeley. That would have to be University of Heidelberg, which is one of the older universities of, of Europe. So I went there, and the first thing I heard walking into Altstadt uh, was ching, 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 ching. There was Shivananda Prabhu, Pritu Prabhu, and uh, one other devotee. And uh, basically, I just kind of joined them the next day. Two weeks later, I was initiated um, by Srila Prabhupada in Paris, went back to Germany. Yeah, then 1976, um, Harikesh became, he came into Germany having been preaching in Hungary at one event. Prabhupada said, stay there, preach in East Europe. So um, after some time, I kind of joined his team of devotees preaching in East Europe. Yeah, and staying in Germany, of course, then the, the, the three and a half, the four years of school German uh, did me well so that I could actually uh, start learning the language proper. That's basically the story. <laughs> that's great. Thank you very much. I have a clear understanding. And that's an amazing story that you uh, were initiated after two weeks. That's, well, that was, Hansen, that's, I, I realized, um, that was Hansa Duda wanting to make a, a good showing to Srila Prabhupada. I didn't understand it at the time, but years later, I could see what had happened because it was literally the day that I met Hansa Duda on our way to Paris uh, via Hamburg, which is geographically not on the way to Paris from Stuttgart, where I was. Um, but on that very day that I met him, he asked, would you like to be initiated? <laughs> I was not the only one he was asking. There were a few other bhaktas. He said, how would you all like to be initiated? And everyone kind of went, yeah, why not? <laughs> and so we all marched over to Paris and sat before the fire. Wow. So you uh, you were involved with uh, that uh, effort to preach in Eastern Europe. Um, did, did you uh, rub shoulders with Dave Swami at that time? 
Yes, he and I were traveling partners uh, at times, especially in Poland. Um, I only remember being with him in Poland, but I guess East Germany also. I also traveled very briefly with um, Bhakti Tirta Maharaj in Austria and East Germany because um, I could assist as a translator for him. Can you tell us any uh, exciting adventures um, that you experienced <laughs> in the course of preaching in Eastern Europe? Hopefully involving the Stasi. Huh? Hopefully involving the Stasi. The Stasi, oh. <laughs> That's the secret German, uh, East German police for those. East German police, which Putin was a part of. Mm. Yeah, he was part of the um, East German Stasi. He was somehow involved there at that time, apparently. Well, the excitement came especially with um, smuggling books into these countries. It was kind of, a, uh, in German, they, they say Nervenkitzel. It's kind of a tickling of the nerves at the borders. Um, and uh, yeah, it's hard to explain how we would do that in, because one has to go into quite some detail. Um, but we, we did manage generally very small quantities of books, but I did manage one time to uh, to, to do a, a smuggle of an entire pallet of <laughs> Polish <Wow. Ishapanishads. laughs> Then you Can you tell us how, how did you do that? I wouldn't be able to explain without showing you a map because it's 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 uh, it involves uh, some slightly complex things about uh, the geography around around uh, west and east Ber Berlin. But you didn't you didn't go through a crossing crossing border uh, to to cross guards. Um, yeah, but we went with a transit visa from West Germany to uh, to West, sorry, West Berlin to West Germany. Um, and with the transit visa, they don't check the contents of your vehicle. Um, but I, uh, and they have very, very strict rules to stay on specific highways. So I didn't do that. I drove... I drove off the highway. <laughs> and the books, did you did you meet someone or you just Yeah, we met we met yeah, it was all arranged in advance. We met a devotee in East Berlin and uh and stored all the books in his um his little garden house. And then devotees came from uh Poland by train and uh there were no there were no checks on the trains uh between east germany and uh and poland 
Uh, so, you know, somebody Polish, it was very easy for them to just take boxes of books uh, from East Berlin. So that was exciting. So how, how many books were there that you, you carry with you? Uh, the pallet was 5,000. Wow. Wow. 5,000 uh, Ishopanishads. Wow. I picked them up from the printer in uh, West Germany and drove them to West Berlin. And then from West Berlin, we uh, took them into East Berlin. So you were the biggest book distributor in one day that I've ever been. <laughs> well, I don't know if it was a reaction to this or not, but then, yeah, it must have been after this. Um, I was in Poland with, uh, not with Devamrita Swami, I was with uh, Dear Krishna. And um, we got caught by the police. And um, and as a result, they, they were very polite and very, they didn't throw us out of the country, but they uh, sent us out of the town where we were. But uh, we were blacklisted. We couldn't get another visa for 10 years to go back to Poland. Wow. Very exciting. Those were ex exciting times. A lot of amazing things happening. We used to say there are <laughs> there are three Vaishnava sports. There's there's swimming, there's wrestling, and there's book smuggling. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a friend who, um, in the course of traveling, he, um, this was mid-70s, he passed through the, uh, the airport in Moscow. He happened to have a first canto Bhagavatam in his baggage. So uh, he got off the, the plane and decided he would take a little look around during a layover and went through customs and they found this Bhagavatam. Um, he was uh, detained and um, some official led him down a hallway for some distance. They went through a doorway, through the doorway, down a flight of steps and another flight of steps into a basement, then to the sub-basement and the sub-sub-basement, down another hall and through more doorways, finally into some private room. They go into the room, the official locks the door, he turns to this devotee, and he holds up the book in front of him and he says, how much you want for this book? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, those sorts of things were going on. When I was with uh, Bhakti Tirtha Maharaj in East Germany, we were in um, 
I guess it was in Leipzig, maybe it was Halle. Uh, we met one professor and, um, and he's, you know, he, he pulled us into his back office and he closed, <laughs> he closed the curtain around us. <laughs> he said, show me everything you have. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take everything. <laughs> Yeah, those right. were nice. Okay. So thank you all for this opportunity. And thank you. Uh, all glories to your services. Shishi Day. I'd like to say one more thing. Huh. I I apologize that I still have not found the time to uh, to thoroughly read your uh, your book, uh, the cow book. But um, but I I have spent more time with it. I've I've looked uh, through it more deeply, and I am incredibly impressed. It it is you address so many topics and and so thoroughly, so deeply and thoroughly researched and, and expressed uh, so articulately. It's, it's an, an amazing work. I'm, I, I was astounded. The, the more I, I dug into it, um, it just seemed to be an, an extraordinary amount of work to, to produce that. How, how long did it take you to, to write that? Um, it was, it was a two year project and I felt like it was not at all enough time. I felt like I was just scratching the surface. <laughs> but the the publisher's contract gave me only two years. So that's what I came up with. Wow. Um, but I, I think it's actually, it's really just a kind of introduction to the subject. And uh, it really begs for a lot more sort of hardcore research into the economics of cow care. Hmm. But I'm well, working I... on something else now uh, for the same publisher. Again, I got a contract now to write a book called Yoga and Animal Ethics. So I'm working on that now. Well, I'll, I'll look forward to that. Yeah, really impressive work, very scholarly. I think Philip Rabhai would have been very pleased uh, had you. he had the chance to, to see what you produced. Thought it was very nicely done. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> okay, now as it, it is customary with the Gitanagari um, guest speakers, we'll ask the devotees to unmute themselves and offer their gratitude. So in my name, Hare Krishna, thank you so much for giving us your association. Hare Krishna Maharaj, thank you. Hare Krishna Maharaj, thank you so much. So grateful. Hare Krishna Maharaj, thank you. Gita Nagra Yatra Ki Jai. 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 Thank you, Maharaj. Thank you, devotees. Hare Krishna.